So good evening. <laughs> uh, it's a joy and a blessing to be back here. I was chatting with a few people before the meeting, and they were introducing themselves, and as soon as they heard the accent, they're like, ha I remember you from last year. I remember that American accent, so good to see some of you again. Good to see some of you for the first time. Um, this time, I was so, have such a, a joy to have my, my wife, Sue Marie, and my daughter, Arielle, here with me as well, so I feel more complete as I share with you tonight. Sure. <clears throat> Beautiful what the Lord's already doing tonight, so I'm excited to see what he wants to do now. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10. As I was prayerfully seeking the Lord for what he wanted me to share tonight, I in some ways felt him highlighting the entire book of Hebrews. But then for the sake of time, I felt that maybe we should just look at certain passages in Hebrews. So we're going to be in Hebrews chapter 10. <clears throat> I will have the scriptures up as well behind me. So starting in verse 23, we read, Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. So Lord, as we look at your word tonight, we ask you to come to reveal more of yourself, more of your truth, illuminate our hearts and our minds, help us to, to see you more clearly, to know you more, and to respond, Lord, in a way that just glorifies you because you are worthy. In Jesus' name, amen. So I want to begin by giving some context to these three verses. And throughout the letter of Hebrews, the writer is exalting Jesus Christ. He's demonstrating to them the absolute supremacy, the sufficiency of Christ. His birth, his life, his death, his resurrection from the dead. And just a bit earlier in chapter 10, the writer speaks about Christ's death as the perfect sacrifice, done once and done for all. And we see that in verse 12, where the writer says, but when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. It's ironic you say beautiful, Stefan. I think the way you felt when you read Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, is the way I felt when I read this passage. I felt the Holy Spirit giving me such a deep revelation into this beautiful truth of what Jesus Christ, the Son of God, did for us. This insane act of love that God showed towards us when we were completely undeserving. 
and how Christ is now sitting at the right hand of God, waiting to return one glorious day soon. And I have to be honest, as, as I was preparing, I was just doing the context for what I was going to preach on, and I got to these three verses. I thought maybe we should just leave these three verses up. Let the Holy Spirit just bring us to a place of awe and wonder as we gaze upon him. I mean, sometimes, <laughs> I mean, forget what I have to say. I'm, I'm just a man. Let's just, let's just let God minister to us through his word. It's beautiful. It's powerful. And as I read these verses, as I speak about this hope that we have in him, this eternal hope, my question for you is how real is this glorious hope to you in your life? in your heart, in your mind? How real is it to you? Is this hope that we see here an anchor for your soul, firm and secure? And the writer continues in verse 22, and he tells his readers that because of what Christ has done, he says, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart, and with the full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. My question for you is, do you actually see yourself the way that the writer of Hebrews describes here? That because of Christ, because of what he has done, because of who you are in him, do you see yourself as someone whose guilty conscience has been cleansed, whose body has been washed with pure water, who has a sincere heart and a full assurance to draw near to God? It's a very, very important question. Why? Because Satan wants to convince you otherwise. He wants to lie to you. He wants to deceive you. And it goes back to that question the serpent asked Eve in the garden back in the book of Genesis. Did God actually say? Did God actually say? Did God actually say that you are washed clean after what you did this week? After what you said this morning? Did God actually say? See, the enemy doesn't want you to believe what is written in this book. He doesn't want you to believe it. And you have to ask yourself the question, who are you going to believe? Because in this book, there are many beautiful, faithful truths and promises about who he is, about who we are in him, but are you taking God at his word? What he says about you, what he says about himself, what he says about the hope that we have in him. Are you taking him at his word? And so with all of that in view, the writer now brings us to verse 23. And he says, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering without wavering. So there's a boldness 
and a confidence and an assurance that we should have in Christ. Why? Because God promised and because God is faithful. And for that reason, we hold fast without wavering the confession of our incredible hope in Christ. And I love the vision that John had of this hope in the book of Revelation, chapter 21. We see there, he has this vision and he says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And you see, we can hold fast to this hope because God promised and God is faithful. And here we're reminded that the words of God are trustworthy and true. And in this vision that John had, there is a reference to a number of very real things that we have to deal with here on earth now in the days that we are living in. Tears, death, mourning, crying, and pain. These are realities of life here on earth. Even as we head into the rest of this new year, 2022, But like Steve said, but God, but God, but this hope that we have in Christ, a new heaven and a new earth, a holy city prepared as a bride adorned for her husband, the dwelling place of God with man, God himself will be with us as our God. This is the eternity that is awaiting us. Is glorious beyond all comparison. That is why Paul tells the Corinthian church in 2 Corinthians 4, he says, for our momentary light affliction, our momentary light affliction is producing for us an absolutely incomparable eternal weight of glory. And so we do not focus on what is seen but on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. And so are you living your life with this eternal perspective in mind, keeping your eyes fixed on Jesus? Let us hold fast 
the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. Next, we go to verse 24 and 25. And we see part of God's divine plan for how we, as his beloved chosen people, are to interact with one another day in and day out. And verse 24 begins by calling us to consider, to give thought to others. And now that, that concept alone is such a stretch to the rest of the world, where it's all about me. It's all about self. The concept is even a stretch to some professing Christians who say, it's just me and Jesus. I don't need the church. I don't need anyone else. But make no mistake about it. God has designed us to need each other, and he's designed us to work together as he is growing us more and more into that pure and spotless bride that he is returning for one day soon. And since he chose to design us to relate to each other this way, we must gather, we must meet together. Because you see, 2,000 years ago, there were some that were in the habit of neglecting to meet together. And I think we all know that sure enough in our time, there are still some that don't believe it's necessary to meet together as believers. But here we are clearly exhorted not to neglect gathering and meeting with one another. And in doing so, we are also called to consider something when we gather together. Whenever we meet with one another, we're called to consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. And I think this is so important for us to realize because we can often spend time together. We can call it fellowship. Yet if we were honest with ourselves, the way that we act, the way that we talk during that time together, it doesn't really look any different from the rest of the world. It doesn't really look any different from people that don't know Christ. Our conversations can often sound exactly like people that don't know Christ. The topics we speak about, the way we speak about those topics. The activities, the things we do can often look just like people that don't know Christ. But here in this verse, it doesn't say just get together for the sake of getting together. There's an intentionality that we are called to have as followers of Christ. We are to live a very intentional life God's way, led by the Holy Spirit. And this verse says, consider. One translation of the original language says, constantly be giving careful attention to. That this should be a constant part of our thinking anytime we are gathered together. Consider how you can stir up, how you can stimulate, how you can provoke, how you can spur on one another to love and good works. So you have to ask yourself, as you're spending time with others, 
How often are you considering how can you stir up the person in front of you towards love, towards good works, towards shining the light of Christ within them to the broken world all around them? I remember when we were prayed out of the Sunningdale PM congregation to go to Wellington, they they had an event for us as we left, and people were sharing testimonies of, of how we had impacted their lives. And one leader shared that he, he learned very quickly that if he was going to spend time with me, he needed to be prepared to answer certain questions. Because I don't just talk about politics or COVID-19 for an hour. I ask questions very quickly, such as, what is Jesus doing in your life right now? What is he teaching you? What is he asking you to do? It's intentionality. And why do I do that? Because I know God is active, even during the holidays in South Africa, God is active and at work around us for his glory. And he's desiring to teach us. He's desiring to grow us. He's desiring to conform us more and more into the image of his son to make us look more like Jesus. And so if we're focused on him, if we're being led by the Spirit, then we will be walking in love and good works. Steve mentioned Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10 earlier, where it says, We are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. This is God's heart for us. It's amazing, really that the God of the universe chooses to use us. But we need each other. We need to be spurring one another on in this because there's a spiritual battle taking place around us. And the enemy wants you to actually be caught up in the things of this world. That's part of his strategy. If he can get you caught up in politics, caught up in COVID-19, caught up in the fleeting pleasures of this world. He wants you to be doing anything else but fixing your eyes on Christ and walking in his ways. That's his strategy. And so we need each other. And that is why the writer of Hebrews also tells us in verse 25, to encourage one another all the more as we see the day, the day of Christ's return, drawing near. I don't know about you, but personally, I see that day drawing near. And here's the thing. As we see the day of Christ's return approaching, we are actually called not just to encourage one another, but to do it all the more. Meaning that each and every day, there should actually be more and more encouragement coming out of our mouths than the day before. And for more encouragement to come out of our mouths, there has to be less of something else. We have so many minutes, so many hours in a day, we use so many words. So for those words to be more encouraging each and every day, there has to be less of something else. Less careless words, less empty words, less meaningless words in light of the kingdom, in light of eternity. And the writer of Hebrews actually 
earlier in the letter, he gives a similar exhortation to encourage one another. In chapter 3, verse 12, he writes, See to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. But encourage one another daily, as long as it is called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. And so we see in these two verses that there is a deceitfulness to sin. The enemy wants to deceive you. And there's a deceitfulness to sin and that it can actually harden your heart. You can become hard-hearted because of it. So much so that you could have a sinful, unbelieving heart that actually turns away from the living God. And so realize as the day of Christ's return continues to draw closer and closer, this could literally be the difference between eternal life and death for your brother or sister. That's what's at stake. And for this reason, we must be intentional to encourage one another towards the Lord reminding one another of the hope that we have, reminding one another of his incredible faithfulness, spurring one another on to love and good works and living life the way he desires, according to his word, to the glory of his name. As long as it is called today. All we ever have is today until Christ returns. And so church, let us hold fast to the confession of our hope. Let us spur one another on to love and good deeds. Let us continue to gather and meet together. And let us encourage one another and live with this level of intentionality and this eternal perspective each and every day until we see our glorious king face to face. Amen? Amen. Amen.